The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention. When, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. There is an absolutely remarkable incident that takes place in our first reading today. This mysterious passage from the book of Isaiah where he speaks to Ahaz the king. Ahaz was not a good king. In fact, Ahaz overthrew his own father to become king. And so here is one who is a descendant of David an heir of the promise that God has made to the house of David, but he completely doesn't measure up. And so imagine this context with the people. They're aware of this promise that God has made to David, that there would be a descendant on his throne through the ages, and at some point, at some point, there would be a king who comes to set things right. And imagine as the generations roll through, and a new child is born to the family of David, a new heir to the throne, and everybody's thinking, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the one. And time after time, king after king, expectation after expectation, it's definitely not the guy. And after a while, there's a certain combination of cynicism that can creep in, which says, and there's never going to be the guy, or a sense of whenever he comes, it's going to be so far away, it won't make a difference for me. And note how easily that can parallel some of our modern attitudes with regard to our faith. Well, I haven't seen Jesus do anything dramatic for me lately. And so, Maybe he's not real. Maybe he doesn't care. 
or I know he's going to do something, but it's so far away, it makes no difference to me. And note how easily that can give us a certain permission to just mail it in with regard to our faith. To just bear down and be about the nuts and bolts of getting by. And with that in mind, now let's turn back to Ahaz the king. Because the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says something remarkable. He comes to the king and says, this is what the Lord is saying to you. You get to ask God for whatever sign you want. Isn't that what we think we want? For the Lord to come to us and say, you tell me what it is you would like to see me do, and I will do it for you. And so the prophet comes to Ahaz and he says, this is what the Lord is saying, ask for your sign, O king, you who have no right to ask anything you ask, and I will do it for you. And then God doubles down and says, and go big. Don't be afraid to go big. Ask for something as deep as the lowest region of the earth or something as high or even higher than the sky itself. You go right ahead. And imagine that. Here's your range of possibility. From the deepest, most hidden thing to the highest, most glorious thing, take your pick and you ask, and I will do that for you. Consider what you would say. Consider what you would say if heaven spoke to you that way. Because as much as we like to flatter ourselves and think, oh, I would so go big on this, it may be that our hearts that are so used to being disappointed, our hearts that are so insecure, despite our stated desire for big things, might find themselves suddenly timid. And so the king hears from the prophet, this is what God is saying to you, O heir of David, to whom God has promised so much. You go ahead and you ask. And what does the king say? He adopts a false piety, a false humility, which is really his wickedness disguising itself in goodness. Oh, far be it from me to ask anything of the Lord. Far be it from me, I couldn't do that, I couldn't impose on the Lord. And note what he's really saying. I don't believe enough to ask for a thing. I don't have enough faith or even enough courage to ask for even a pittance. I can't be bothered to hope. And how easy that attitude is to live in our hearts. On the one hand, we speak language of having big dreams for ourselves and for our families, of wanting so much. And then the possibility of real goodness draws near, and we find that our hands are hesitant to reach out and grab it. How wonderful it is that we actually have this reading on the fourth Sunday of Advent, right before the joy of Christmas where it speaks to that hesitant heart which cloaks its hesitance in a pious lie. Oh, I'm just, I'm so humble I couldn't dare ask. 
And yet this is the guy that overthrew his own dad to become king. He's not that humble. And so the prophet's response to him is absolutely wonderful. He looks at him and says, and he looks at him as the representative of all of Israel. The king who not just is speaking for himself, but he can ask for the nation. He can ask for the people. He is that one who sits on the throne and God says, ask, you're the king. Ask for your nation. Ask for yourself. Ask for your house. And he says, I really can't think of anything. And this, in some leisure, is a certain aspect of the history of Israel, a history of the people of God who time and time again have witnessed the great things that God does and yet quickly forgets them, quickly gives in and surrenders to its insecurities and its doubts. And so the prophet, the prophet looks at the king and in looking at the king speaks to the entire nation and he says, Oh, Israel, it's not enough for you to make life crazy for everybody. You've got to exhaust God, too. And, you know, in that simple statement, your faithlessness, Isaiah says, is wearing everybody out. You're wearing each other out with your doubt. You're wearing each other out and exhausting each other with your relentless insecurity. Your inability Turn your eyes upward to see real goodness when it shows up is draining the life out of all of you. It's almost as if he's looking at the nation and saying we've become vampires to one another. Draining the energy, draining the goodness out of each other with this relentless inability to trust, this relentless inability to embrace, this allergy to hope. And then the prophet says the most remarkable thing. He says, and so this is what God says to you, O king. This is what God says to you, O Israel. This is what God says to you, O people who cannot be bothered to hope. I'm going to do something anyway. Because I'm not dependent on what you ask for. I'm not dependent on your being ready. I'm going to do something, and here's how it's going to be. And so the Lord says, I will then give you a sign. And the sign I give will indeed be higher than the heavens and deeper than the earth. I will give you a sign. And so it is then that he says, and this is the sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and he shall be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And as the Lord speaks this through his prophet to the king, he is saying to the house of David, that's going to be the sign that the one you've been waiting for is here. And he speaks to the people and he says to them, that is the sign by which salvation will be recognized. And note, the sign is an odd one. He doesn't show the face of the sun. 
He shows the face of the mother. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. Note how specific that is. Not a virgin at some indeterminate point in history may happen to conceive a child. The virgin. The virgin. At that moment, the Lord is announcing what happens down the road is no accident. It's not random. It's not a matter of circumstances. Mary will not be the last along the line of many people that God asked to be the mother of her son, and she finally said yes. No. She is the virgin. And she will conceive and bear a son. And note now what we hear in our gospel reading. Joseph, a descendant of David, is betrothed without knowing it to the one who is the virgin. Joseph has royal blood, but he doesn't have a throne. Ahaz had royal blood and he had a throne, but he was not a good man. And some 740 years later, Joseph is betrothed to a virgin named Mary, and she's pregnant. Joseph doesn't know what to do. She's his bride, but the child's not his. And he's unsure how to relate to this, except that he doesn't want to respond in anger. Note the difference between the wicked heir of David and the true heir of David. The wicked man deposed his own father, seeking power. Joseph doesn't want to react in anger, even though it looks like she's been unfaithful. Note the mercy. Note the patience. Note the listening for the will of God. And so it is here that while Joseph is at rest, the angel comes, and what does the angel really say? You're the first one to see the sign. She's the virgin, and she's conceived. And the sign given to the house of David arrives into the house of David when you open your door. Note how wonderful this is. Joseph, who has no claim to the throne, because there is no throne anymore, is the one who is told, open your door to a sign higher than the heavens and deeper than the earth, because the virgin has, in fact, conceived. And the virgin will, in fact, bear a son. And as we gaze in wonderment at this, we have to be absolutely awestruck and dumbfounded by two incredibly great realities. One. Unlike his royal predecessor, Joseph actually accepts the sign, the sign that God has given. And he opens the door to the great sign. And he does that, opening his door to the virgin who has conceived. And so note, the very first time somebody opened the door of his house to Jesus Christ was by opening the door of his heart to Mary. 
Nope, heaven didn't say, and so received the child. Heaven said to him, do not be afraid to receive your wife, the virgin. And in receiving her, he received the child. How wonderful we hear these words at a shrine dedicated to Our Lady. Note the beauty there, to fully receive him, receive her. Because the sign is not merely look at the face of Jesus. The sign is the virgin will conceive and bear a son. That is the sign. Higher than the heavens, deeper than the earth. And we pause at this because we're also aware of the virgin who remarkably, when heaven said to her, hail full of grace, you will conceive in your virginity and bear a son, and he will be great. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. Think about that. And she risked believing. She risked a yes on that. Not that she would see the sign of the virgin who is somebody else bearing a son, but that she, in fact, is that virgin. And in being that virgin, she and her bearing that child is the sign for the entire world, the sign for the house of David, the sign for all of Israel, the sign that God has prepared from all eternity. Note how wonderful that is and how remarkable that act of hope and faith must have been. Because let's be honest, of all the things we can be asked to believe, that's among the stupidest. That God is going to take flesh inside you and be your child. It's too great. It's so great, it's absolutely unthinkably foolish that God would do something like that and that he'd do it in and through your life. And yet she risks believing and in opening her door to the voice of heaven, she becomes the sign by which the Savior is known by all mankind because this is the sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. How wonderful this is. And so we stand here on this fourth Sunday of Advent, on the doorstep of the very celebration of the mystery of the birth of this child conceived by the Virgin. And note, the fullness of the sign is not merely the Virgin shall conceive, but the Virgin shall conceive bear a son. And so note how what we hear today is not finished until next Sunday when the child is placed in the manger near his mother and the movement of the virgin who has conceived to bearing her son and showing his face to the world. And that's the sign. Now, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that, really?
to see in the arms of the Virgin the face of the Savior looking out at you, the face of salvation looking at you, and Almighty God saying, see, I do give you a sign. But are you willing to see it? Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to accept it? Because the sign will be given. Whether you're ready or not, whether you want it or not, whether you're looking for it or not, it will be given because the Almighty has never been big on consultation. And so he will do what he's going to do. So as you prepare over this final week for Christmas, remember this. From all eternity, from all eternity, even before the creation of the world, Almighty God saw this crib. He saw that manger in Bethlehem. It wasn't random. Jesus is not born in a stable merely because of circumstances. Jesus is not born in that stable merely because there was no room at the inn. He was always going there. He was always going to be born there. And he was always going to be born of that virgin. That wasn't random. There weren't 10 applicants before Mary who were all rejected. She was the one. It was going to happen regardless of what the world did. Regardless of how crazy life was, oh, it was happening. And the marvelous thing about this mystery is the inevitability of it. God's going to do it. The Lord's going to come. He's going to be born, and he's known all along about that manger. Jesus wasn't surprised. You know, it's not like Jesus was in Mary's womb on Christmas Eve wondering what they're going to do next because we can't get into the inn. No, he knew he was going to be there outside of any earthly dwelling because he's come to give us a home, not to receive a home from us. He was coming. The only issue was, would the world be ready? Would the people be ready? That's the interesting thing about what happens now over this last week. Our readings all through the weekdays are going to insist, oh, he's coming. His birth is drawing near. Nothing will stop it. The Lord is coming. The only question is, will we be ready? Because ready or not, he comes. Whether we look for it or not, he arrives. Whether we want it or not, he still comes. What a marvelous, marvelous reality this is because However indifferent we've been over these previous three weeks of Advent, we've got this week ahead of us. And that's enough time. That's enough time to get the heart ready. That's enough time to go to school in terms of how do I hope and expect and look for something more. And note how wonderful that is. Because one of the really essence, great essences of Christian life is a certain joyful hope and expectation. And so as we look forward to next Sunday, let us do so in the light of this Sunday. The sign has been given. The child is on the way. And when we see him, we will also see the fulfillment of that wonderful line from sacred scripture, 
Lord, let us see your face and we will be saved. And the face of salvation will shine out for us in our celebration on December 25th. And what a great thing that is. But having said that, dress rehearsal is right now. And in just a few minutes, that same Lord Jesus, conceived by the Virgin Mary and born of the Virgin Mary, is going to be right here. Right here, in front of this aisle, that aisle as he comes down off of our altar. And note, standing there, he's going to wait for you to come forward. Because from before the foundation of the world, he also saw this moment. He also saw you being here today. And he saw you with the possibility of getting up and coming forward and stretching out your hand. And you're not going to stretch out your hand to a symbol. You're not going to stretch out your hand to a mere disc of bread. You're going to stretch out your hand to him. You're going to stretch out your hand to life. You're going to stretch out your hand to goodness. Ready or not, you get to come forward and do that. And note how wonderful that is. Because the saving steadiness is his. The saving constancy is his. And note how we can go to school in this way every single Sunday. Learning Sunday after Sunday what it is to reach out to life. And what a great thing that is. Because there's so much in this world around us that asks us to reach out our hands to what is not life, to what is death, to what is unhealthy, to what is selfish, to what simply does not endure. But here he comes. And as surely as he saw that manger from before the creation of the world, he saw you in this place on this day. And just as he came to that manger to give himself to the world, he comes here to give himself to you. And what a great thing that is. Amen.